praying mantis dogman. Welcome to Scary Stories, the channel that tells you scary stories. Praying Mantis Dogman, as told to and read by Peter Bernard. Dear Scary Stories, back around 2014 when I was still a teenager, I used to work as a camp counselor in the summers. I had attended this camp as a kid, that's how I got the gig. It was mostly boring, but one time I saw something really incredible. It was, I guess, a monster. I saw it, and this little kid saw it. He called it a bunny man, but I called it the Praying Mantis Dog Man. When I say Praying Mantis, I don't mean it was green and flu or anything. It was sort of tan-colored, actually. The reason I called it Praying Mantis Dog Man is that it held its paws in front of it, sort of in the way of a praying mantis or a dog that's begging for food. Anyway, it's a pretty simple story, so let me go back to the beginning and just tell it. Okay, there was this brat, I mean boy, who we will call Sherman for the sake of this story. Sherman had a wild imagination, probably still does wherever he is now. Anyway, Sherman could see a puddle in the mud and imagine it was a dinosaur footprint. We were in New Jersey. There are no dinosaurs there, other than birds, I suppose. But then again, there aren't supposed to be tan-colored dogmen living in New Jersey either. So, anyway, one day, Sherman tells me there's an orange bunny man staring into the window by his bed every night. I didn't think anything of it until a few days later, when I overheard Sherman talking with one of the other kids who was sleeping in a bunk near him. They were asking each other questions like, Why do you think he looks at us every night? And... What do you think he wants? That set off alarm bells in my head. Maybe Sherman hadn't imagined this orange bunny man after all. Was some creep wearing a furry costume and peeping the kids in the camp at night? I alerted two of the other counselors and we decided we'd stand guard that night trying to catch the jerk in action and put a stop to him. We told the kids to go to sleep like normal and we protect them from the orange bunny man. Okay, fast forward to exactly 3.39am according to the clock radio we had with us. This counselor we'll call Bill was elbowing me to wake me up. When I opened my eyes, he was gesturing toward the window. What I saw will forever be burned into my memory. There was a tall, man-like creature standing outside the window. It had to be seven feet tall, judging by how high he came to the top of the window frame. This was not a normal man, though, and this was also clearly not a furry or a person in a costume. If this was a human, he was quite deformed. I'll try to describe this thing as well as I can. It had what looked like tan-colored fur all over its body, as far as I could see, judging in the dim light. Maybe it really did look orange in the daylight. The eyes were not human at all. They reminded me of deer eyes, almost entirely dark. The man, or whatever, held his arms directly in front of himself, with his forearms facing toward the window and his wrists hanging limply. It looked like he was begging for scraps. The thing did not have normal human ears, but instead had long, tall ears on top of its head. That would explain why Sherman thought it was a giant rabbit man. Actually, I can't say that I know enough to say that it wasn't. It could just as easily have been some overgrown, prehistoric rodent monster as a dogman for all I know. This creature is not going to be in your zoology books, and I am no expert, so I'm not going to be able to do anything but describe what I saw. 
The creature did not look ferocious or vicious. It just stared forward blankly. I couldn't really tell what it was looking at, but it didn't seem to be bothered that we were there. What is it looking at? I whispered to one of the other counselors, and he said he didn't know. And then Bill pointed out the outside light behind the monster and said he's backlit. We had no idea what that meant or what he was driving at, so Bill explained he's probably staring at his own reflection. That sort of blew our minds. This wasn't a stalker or a creep or perv at all. It was some kind of very strange creature who came by every night to stare at the face of another of his own kind. Was this creature separated from his family or tribe or herd or whatever his kind had? Was he thinking he was looking into the eyes of someone from his family? This thing looked like it could tear me apart without much effort, but suddenly I felt great empathy for it. We all stayed and watched it stare at itself for a while, then I swear we saw it hop away, not walk away, not run away. The thing continued to hold its hands in front of it like it was begging or praying, and it hopped into the forest behind the building and was gone. One of us was freaking out and wanted to alert the people in charge that there was some kind of hopping dog-headed ape man in the area, but Bill and I just put a thick black curtain over that window and said the problem is dealt with. The creature would be able to see its reflection better with the dark curtain there, and it wouldn't be disturbing the sleep of the kids. We had to argue with the other counselor for a while to get him not to report what happened, but eventually he agreed. The next day, the main guy running the camp called me and Bill into his office. That third guy had squealed on us. But the main boss dude just thought he was crazy. He told us that the counselor was claiming there was a hopping werewolf in camp, and he wanted to know if we could tell how crazy this guy was. Might he get dangerous around the kids? We weren't in trouble at all. The other guy was. He fumed at us for the rest of the time there, but he should have thanked us because the only reason he didn't get sent home was because we told the boss he was only mildly insane. And that is the true tale of the time I saw a hopping praying mantis dog man. Do you have a scary story you want us to read on the show? Just call our voicemail hotline. 804 La Scary. That's 804 537 2279. And now for something completely scary. Ouija Board Dogman, as told to Peter Bernard, read by P.Q. River. So I hear people bad mouthing Ouija boards all the time, but those things work. I'd rather badmouth the things in life that don't work. If someone is too out of it to take normal precautions before doing things, then they shouldn't do anything. They should stay in bed. But stop going around telling the rest of us to be afraid of using Ouija boards. That having been said, one time when I used a Ouija board, I nearly got killed by Dogman. Okay, as you can imagine, this story takes place outside. I used to have this rich friend before they got too stuck up to have any friends who weren't like on TV or whatever. But at that time, my buddy Jake and I were still hanging with this elitist snobble called Snobbo for the sake of this story. Now, let's call him Worthington. Let's call him Carruthers. Carruthers it is. 
So uh, Carruthers wanted to throw a Friday the 13th party, but we knew nobody would come except us. So we morphed it into a Friday the 13th Ouija board seance, and then people came we didn't even invite. Some of them were pretty girls, so we guys were all in show-off mode. We were trying to impress the young ladies and putting each other down while trying to act like a badass. Who was the bravest? Who would ask the Ouija board the most outrageous questions? That sort of thing. So, we got to talking to one spirit in particular who called himself Lou. We asked Lou where he was, and he spelled out West. We asked him where he died, and he said no. We asked him if he was alive, and the planchette moved to yes. One of the girls started getting really freaked out. She said the Ouija isn't supposed to channel living spirits, that we should stop using it immediately. We all laughed that she was less scared of ghosts than of real people and kept on with our quizzing of Lou. We asked Lou if he could visit us, and he said no. We asked if we could visit him, and the planchette went back to yes. I asked what we could do together, and he spelled out the word diner. Diner, I asked, laughing. You want to meet us at a diner in town? The planchette started spelling out a new word. M A Ma, are you telling a yo mama joke? N Man, you're saying you're a man? G Mang, that's not a word. E Mange. Oh man, you've got the mange? R Manger? With the little baby Jesus? And then the spelling stopped, and we were stumped. What did any of that mean? The steam had been sucked out of the conversation, and the questioning ground to a halt. One of my friends decided to go back to the older line of questioning. So you said we could meet you. Where? It spelt out West again. West of where we were was further out into Carruthers' daddy's forest. We asked him what was in there, and he said, Trees, from what I can tell. He had never been in the forest on his own property. What kind of a kid was this kid? Anyway, we picked up the Ouija and our stuff and walked west into the forest looking for a spot to set up. We found a perfect place under a tree on a rock. It looked like a scene from a fairy story, and I was really in the mood to get back to questioning Lou with the Ouija. So we settled down, and we asked Lou if we could meet him here. The planchette answered, No. We asked where we should go, and the answer was, West. This happened again at the next site, and again at the third. Not everyone wanted to venture west to the fourth spot. We asked the Ouija, Lou, if he could give us a sign when we had walked far enough, and he responded, Yes. So now we marched into the unknown. The forest got denser, both on the ground and overhead, and it got darker and darker. It suddenly dawned on me that the sun was going down. I thought we'd better get back. Just five minutes more, someone cried out, and we continued. A couple more people now agreed with me that we should head back. We'll head back after we get the sign from Lou. Finally, I was getting tired, and we still had a long trek to get back, so I put my foot down and demanded we go back. 
There were only two people who wanted to go further, but they were very vocal about it. Our argument got louder and louder, and then we heard a crashing sound in the forest, and out of the trees emerged an insane-looking dog with the chest of a human weightlifter and fangs the length of a toothbrush. It sized us up like it was looking at meat hanging in a butcher shop, then I swear the thing grinned. It grinned at us with its incredibly long teeth and evil-looking orange eyes. It looked like it was salivating. Not Lou. Not Lou, laughed one of my friends. His eyes were open a bit too wide. I wondered if he was losing his mind from the stress. He grabbed me hard, hurting me. He pulled my face inches from his wide-eyed. He raved at me, saying, Not Lou! Lou Garou! Lou Garou, I asked, but he wasn't listening. He was laughing and ranting, laughing and ranting. Lou Garou manger le dîner! He said in French. Lou was speaking clearly to us, but he was speaking in French. He wasn't saying he had mange, and he wasn't talking about swaddling clothes or a manger. He was inviting us pour le dîner for dinner. He was saying manger, which is the French word for eat. He was inviting us further westward to be his Dinner. We ran. We ran for our lives, and we ran for our sanity. No matter where I ran, I could see the monster behind me, and it seemed to be only interested in me. I screamed at it to go away. I screamed at the top of my lungs. I was never so terrified in my life. Why was it picking on me? One time I dove behind a rock to hide from it, and it was already behind me, roaring. There was no way it could have been there. It was like it could be anywhere it wanted to be. And it was a thing so ugly you couldn't help but scream when you saw it. There was nothing symmetrical about this creature. I've heard people say they saw a dogman or Bigfoot and that it was a magnificent creature of beauty. This thing was not. This came fully formed out of a nightmare and seemed to enjoy the role. It had a kind of evil wolf head from an old fairy tale, like the big bad wolf sort of a thing, but not in a humorous way. It had a very long snout and a black nose at the end that mucus dripped out of. Every part of it seemed to be twitching, like it had bugs crawling just under the surface of its flesh. Its eyes twitched like it was on no-dose for three days studying for exams. One of its arms was like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but the other was deformed, ending in a two-fingered claw. I couldn't tell if it was this way due to injury, illness, or the randomness of birth, but I knew it wanted me dead, and its appearance only filled me with more dread. I ran and ran from the monster until suddenly I was out of the forest and running toward a road. I was dizzy and couldn't remember why I was running anymore. I just knew that it was urgent that I keep going. I ran out into the road and a car screeched trying not to hit me. It hit me anyway. I woke up days later in the hospital, but it wasn't really as dramatic as all that. I just lost a lot of blood, that's all. I can walk, no limp. I got off. Very lucky. When I talked to the other kids later, they all told me the dogman followed them personally, the same thing I experienced. 
We wondered if there were more than one of them, but we all described the same asymmetrical abnormality, so it had to be the exact same dogman chasing each and every one of us, and almost ending my life in the process. So, anyway, I've used the Ouija board again since then, and I plan on continuing to use it. Why? This story should tell you why. It actually works as a means of communication. What I don't plan on doing ever again, though, is answering any more dinner invitations from Dogman. Hey, we got one more bonus story right after this. It's not a Dogman story, but this is a really new, really weird story that I don't even know how to classify it, but I just thought it was scary and I want to read it for you. And uh, we'll, we'll be back with that story right after this. Meet the creator of Scary Stories NYC at the Northeast Comic Con, July 6th, 7th, and 8th, along with Mickety Monkety Dolans, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Monkeys movie, Head! Hooray! Also appearing, the real original Greg, Barry Williams Brady, from the Brady Six Rock Band. Hooray! It's a three-day summer party thrown by our friend, TV's famous Gary Summers from Antiques Roadshow. Ah! The pretty girl that disappeared, as told to and read by Peter Bernard. Dear Scary Stories, I have a story for you. Pretty much it can be summed up in one sentence. I saw a pretty girl who disappeared. Okay, I live in a small town on the north shore of Long Island, or I should say, my parents do. I'm living in the basement until the fall when I enter college. I grew up in Manhattan, and we only moved out here last year. My parents loved their giant new house, but I didn't mind being a little cramped when we lived on the Upper West Side. There's a sophisticated culture in each neighborhood in Manhattan, whereas out here, on Long Island, there are a lot of lawns and sprinklers and children. Loud, rude children. So I have an added reason to become successful enough to get my own place now. I can't stand it on Long Island. So imagine my surprise one day when I'm walking down the main street of the town, which they actually named Main Street in the area's most inspired moment, and I see not just a fashionable person, but an excitingly fashionable person. I saw the most lovely young woman wearing a vintage Diane von Furstenberg wrap dress with a green jungle theme on it. Pearls, sunglasses, a wide-brimmed hat, and pale green four-inch pumps. I looked around for the cameraman, reasoning she must be posing for a photo shoot. I wondered if the cameras were hidden, since I didn't see anyone out on the street except for me and this lady. I ached to go up and talk to her, as I didn't have a single friend on Long Island. In fact, to this day, I still don't. I was too afraid that if I spoke to her, she would mistake me for one of the locals and assume I was banal, before I could even compliment her tasteful ensemble. She was looking in a store window, and it occurred to me that I was watching her looking. Could she see me staring at her in the store window reflection? I looked away quickly, embarrassed at my terrible behavior. The lady walked on to the right, down the block. I wanted to go that way too, but if I did, would I be officially stalking her then? She was heading in the direction of the diner. That was the only thing in town open at this time on a Saturday. If she went there, I might be able to find a way to introduce myself properly. But 
If I trailed her the entire way there, and she noticed, then she'd never speak to me, even if we got introduced to each other by the Vanderbelts. So, I created a plan in my mind. I would turn right and follow a somewhat longer route to the diner than the lady was on. If she really was going there, then I would arrive three or four minutes after she did. If she wasn't going to the diner, then it didn't matter anyway, since I wouldn't have the nerve to talk to her on the street. And so I followed my plan, congratulating myself on not being a stalker. (laughs) I turned down the block that has the deli on the corner with the pole outside the door holding the building up over it. I did a double take as I thought for a second that I saw someone wearing the same jungle leaves green pattern that the fashionable lady had on her dress. I was more than a little surprised to see that it wasn't someone wearing a similar dress. It was the same woman again. Only she was walking right to left from my perspective, apparently coming from the opposite direction of where I last saw her. In other words, she seemed to be walking toward where I last saw her, not from there. That was impossible. I resolved to catch up to her and risk starting a conversation on the street. I was too confused now to let this go. I really wanted to know who she was and what her deal was. I watched as she walked behind the pole outside the deli. I never saw her come out of the other side. She must have been standing behind the pole. Maybe she was checking her cell phone or having a vaping moment or something. I found myself trotting vigorously, anxious to get to that pole and find a way to get to know this exotic mystery woman. I reached the pole, went around the other side, and... Nothing. There was nobody there. I walked around the pole several times in both directions, probably looking ridiculous, but it didn't matter. There was nobody there to see me. I've not seen her again since, but this wasn't that long ago. I asked my parents if this town was known for having ghost ladies walking around, but they thought I was joking and I dropped the subject. I'm not sure I believe in ghosts anyway. I don't know what I saw, but it wasn't a dead person. Her fashion tastes were two of the moment. Well, it's not a dogman story, but it's true. And it's the scariest thing that ever happened to me. Check out the audio podcast version of Scary Stories NYC, now available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and other popular podcatchers. Bigfoot Attacked My Tiny House. Scary Stories by Peter Bernard, Volume 1, now available on Amazon in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook versions. Narrated by P.Q. River and me, Madeline Starr. Forward by TV's famous Timothy Green Beckley, better known as Mr. UFO. And if there's anyone out there who can't get enough of P.Q. River, search in your favorite search engine for P.Q. River and you'll find plenty of podcasts, music, and weirdness. Come back for more scary stories.